This podcast is not to be used as medical advice or medical education. If you are experiencing pain, discomfort, or any other medical or physical ailment, please consult a licensed medical doctor or physical therapist. This is the strategy of fitness. Hey, this is Dan Gorin from the Strategy of Fitness Podcast. We'd like to thank you for all of your support. And if you love the podcast, please recommend to a friend. Find the Strategy of Fitness on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play. Please like, subscribe, follow, and leave a review if you can. On Instagram, we are at the Strategy of Fitness. And we also give you the best gym songs every week, the Strategy of Fitness official hitters playlist on Spotify and Apple Music. Welcome back to episode 48 of the Strategy of Fitness podcast. My name is Nick Cressy, joined weekly by Dan Gorin and Rob Rowland. What's going on, boys? I'm doing good, man. The wrist is healing quite nicely, thanks to Father Rob's advice. That's the good news about Father Rob. The bad news is I'm almost finished the book Endure that he recommended, and I'm enduring it. And it is sometimes painful, but sometimes good. So I'll share my thoughts on that. And there's more good than bad, probably, but it's just a little boring at times. Rob, what's going on? Kind of coming in salty night. Full disclosure, we usually record on Sunday and it's Tuesdays and my week was planned out. I was supposed to be lifting right now and I forgot I had to talk to you chumps. So. Rob, let's sink into this. So Typically, we, we kick it off with around the globe workouts for the boys. What would you have been doing right now? If you weren't, <laughs> if you weren't talking to us. We're pouring salt. We're pouring salt in his wounds. I love it. So today, tonight was going to be a little complex. I was going to do pen lay rows, power cleans and push jerks and go uh-huh. like do one of those every 45 seconds and do a two minute recovery and just try to go ascending sets. till I got something pretty heavy, like try to get the 10 sets total. All right. Yeah. That's a tough one to miss. I'll do it tomorrow. It's all right. Did you hit your web key piece for the day? Oh yeah. I was going to do an easier one, but since I knew I was only going to have time for my bike, I did the, the 30 second sprints with 230 recovery and my legs are absolutely engorged right now there my quads are busting out of my skin i can barely sit here right now (laughs) how many of them it was eight of them and i was i was looking i did this workout about a month ago and last week i tell you i was like getting pretty worn down with this five days a week of riding this bike and i was getting kind of sick of it this week i'm a little bit reinvigorated and i compared this workout to when i did it a month ago and i'm like 60 watts higher average per interval so i was like well over 600 watts per 30 seconds tonight which is I know that most people listening have no idea what that means, but to me, that's a pretty pretty good output. What's your pace for that 30 seconds? I mean, are you like a minute 20? It's not quite a minute 20. I think like 123 or something. I've been tracking mostly watts, but I think it's like 122, 123. Again, and it, anyone out there that's never messed that biker gets like holding a 123 on a rower, which is pulling hard. It, it actually might be harder to get that low. I don't even know. Have you noticed since you started WebKey's programming, do you feel like there's been, I mean, I think that, you know, just kind of without formally asking, but I'm formally asking now, do you think there's been some pretty appreciable gains? Honestly, if I like reflected on it, I like if I just went pure subjective, I would say not yet because I'm in the fifth week of it, but I can't argue with the numbers like a, a 60 watts average increase in a month for, I, I consider myself having like a decent aerobic base coming in. Like that's pretty, 
pretty noticeable. If I had a client and they had that kind of increase in a month, I'd be pretty, pretty stoked, especially if they were well-trained coming in. So I, I can't argue with the numbers from tonight. I'm glad I did this right before the pod. What else you hit this week? Anything worth noting? I, I know we usually go to Dan first, but... Um, the only thing here. I'll add on top of like my five days a week of just riding this stupid bike is um, I've been trying to <laughs> save my legs a little bit because my leg, I usually do the bike first, so I get better effort on that and then lift afterwards because that's kind of my focus now. So I've tried to stay away from squats because I don't like going to the squats or the legs totally smoked. I feel like I'll take over with my back. So I started doing some more like unilateral stuff. And I don't know last time you boys did a, a walking lunge with a, a bar in a back squat position, but I, I did that last week for like four by 12 when I was up at like 205. That absolutely blasted my legs. I, you forget how good of a movement a lunge is. I think we always do as an accessory, but as a strength movement, man, if you got like back issues or you're not comfortable squatting, a heavy lunge is a beast of a movement. You're stepping forward with that? Yeah. Okay. Any any particular reason? Sorry, no, I just hadn't done it in a while and I needed a unilateral movement. I was getting sick of reverse lunges. So I was like, I'll just go some walking lunges today. I was at my wife's gym. There's like a nice turf there. So. Oh, you were actually walking. Got yeah. it. Let me ask you this, Rob, too, because I had a question. You got to throw it out to both of you. I think that Bulgarian split squats, like people absolutely love those. And I'm just, I don't know, it, it always seems kind of awkward for me getting my foot in the position, kind of getting the balance and going to do that. I, I find myself using that very kind of sporadically with patients. And I love a walking lunge or reverse lunge. I just feel it's so much easier to get down. It provides most of the same benefits. So if you guys could play a little devil's advocate, why is the Bulgarian split squat better than a traditional lunge? And should you train both? Yeah, so I, I think of the Bulgarian split squat as that intermediary from a lunge to a single leg squat. You're elevating your back leg, so you're naturally putting more weight on the front leg. So you're not going to be able to handle as much load. If you don't have like great hip extension on your back leg, it's going to be really hard to do. But I th- like that is an absolute must for any runners or athletes. Like A Bulgarian split squat is a staple in your program. I'm a huge fan of that movement. I think there's the increased range you get on that over a lunge. Like there's, You can't leave that one out. That's an awesome movement. Yeah, I'm a big fan as well. And Dan, have you ever changed it up a little bit and did it with dumbbells instead of putting the weight on your back? I've seen people do that and just get a better feel for having that back leg extended or or elevated. Yeah, I've done it with dumbbells. I've done it with in a goblet hold. I've done it with weight on my back. I've done it in a variety of positions. I think there's a little bit of ankle mobility. Okay. It's weird when I have my right my right ankle up, it's a little lacking in plantar flexion. So I think that the combination of hip extension and plantar flexion, my right ankle, it just makes the movement a little uncomfortable. I, I have seen though, a dude on Instagram, Strength Coach Therapy, who puts out a lot of good content, has a Bulgarian split squat. It's almost like, think of like a roll, it's like a rolling pin on like a little stand. And that, if I had one of those, that would be absolutely perfect. But I, you know, with the bench, you kind of have to really force yourself into that plantar flexion. Have you guys seen that uh, little Bulgarian split squat? Thing? Yeah, and and with rogues like modular racks, any of those three by three posts, they sell the little attachment that just pins into there. They're really not that expensive. Like that's an easy addition for your gym. So tell your owner to to buy a couple of those. No, I like that's cool. Those things look cool. If I had that, I think I would like them a lot more. Yeah, cool. And if you haven't tried them, Google them. Try it with no weight, and then. Do a couple Bulgarian split squats. They'll make you feel a little funny the next day if you've never done them, I'll tell you that much. Nick, what did you get into this week? This week, I did, still nursing this back. I wouldn't even say nursing. I would say being smart for once in my life and and just not lifting heavy. So, did a lot of little things. Like, I did Karen, 150 wall balls for time the other day. What was your time on that bad boy? Five twenty four. I was I was right around. I, I think I almost broke seven. I think I was low sevens there. That's a that's a brutal workout. 
Yeah, it's weird. I don't even know like what's good. I didn't even look it up. It was one of those things where like I was messing with machines one morning and I was staying away from weights and I was like, oh, maybe I can do a bunch of wall. You know, I'm pissed because I can't do squats. I can do 150 wall balls. I did Cindy the other day. As you can see, all these things are going to just be massive leg volume because I can't actually put the, the weight up yet. So it, over 26 rounds of Cindy, that was that was good for me. I shared the one with you guys that I that buried me. I'm going to share this with the listeners. It was run a mile and then 10 rounds of that Bergeron beep test. So the Bergeron beep test is seven thrusters, seven pull-ups, and seven burpees. 75-pound thruster, so it sounds really light. And the idea of that beep test is you should be able to do a round in a minute. You rest until the, the imam, essentially. And when you can't complete the 777 in the minute, your workout stops. Obviously, with a mile on the front of that, this was just 10 rounds on the back end, no matter if you go over that that time threshold or not. It messed me up. It messed me up good. Dan, when you're back to, to full health, I, I want to hear how that works for you because that workout was gnarly, bro. I, I, I want to do that. I also really like that. Is that the, that's not the longer one, right? No, fuck. Yeah, that yeah, yeah. That, 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 that longer one I want to try too, just because it's such such a long exit. I, I just I really uh, like that one. Yeah, I had an, I had an eight rounder, and it was run four hundred, ski eight hundred, twelve hundred on the bike erg, and sixteen burpees. So I I, I get like two rounds into doing a sixteen hundred on the bike erg, and I'm like, well, this math doesn't make sense. Four eight sixteen sixteen. I obviously pull my phone up on like the third round of the bike and I see I'm wrong. But at that point, it's like, fuck, stick with it. Like finish it out this way. That was 82 minutes of just, just anything that takes you 82 minutes is just hysterical. <laughs> it was so bad. It was so annoying. Like when you get to four rounds in and you're at like the 45 minute mark, you're like, motherfucker. <laughs> the only other thing, and I, I'm very self-involved with my workouts this week, but this one was was probably the, the coolest thing. I found, I was going through my old stuff and I used to do that Invictus CrossFit stuff. And they had some really gnarly workouts back in the day when the comp programming was free. And there was this one, I was about a year and a half into CrossFit. I was pretty, you know, hardo Navy dude working out with my buddies all the time, pretty competitive environment. And uh, I found some times for some workouts. So I did, you know, I, it was 33-year-old Nick versus 29-year-old Nick last week in the gym. And I beat the dog shit out of that young guy. So I was very happy with that. So it's another reason why every week I'm like, write your shit down. Because, you know, for the most part, if you're just starting this your, this fitness journey or wherever you are in it, it's cool to, to see where you stack up against yourself a couple of years down the road. Dan, I know you do that really well so you're just, just embarking on your old man strength phase it's exciting yeah well that's the thing rob like the the this whole perception that that we're old men at 33 34 years old is like a, a huge thing that i'm trying to revolt and fight against like hey guys like just because that's old for an nfl player doesn't mean it's old for like the the average joe and i i can't tell you how many times people are hey man we're getting old and i'm like who the fuck are you talking to like you're getting old you're getting old just, you know, cause you don't, cause you don't use your, your, your body. I'm not, not yet. One day. Yeah. You, you got it. It's gravity's undefeated, but we'll fight till the ship goes down. That's for damn exactly. sure. Exactly. But I'll tell you, I never understood the sentiment. I worked with a guy at NIH and he was, I'd say probably six years older than me. And he loved Derek Jeter. He's a Yankees fan. 
And I was like, dude, why do you love, you know, Jeter so much? Like, we all have our favorite players. We all have our reasons we love him. He's like, cause he's my age. Like they're exact same birth months, exact same year. He's like, so when he's out there, you know, 35, 36, which is still killing it. He was like, I just love that. And I do the same thing with LeBron now. I'm like, LeBron's my same age. I'm like, if he could do it, I could do it. So, that's awesome. you know, it just kind of, you look at those, you know, look at those examples. It's like, it, you know, somebody that's your age that complains about their old, I'm like, you know, go turn on the TV, watch LeBron. He's four years older than you. He could kill you right now. <laughs> exactly. Amen. Amen. Dan, what'd you hit this week? I know the wrist is getting better. <laughs> Tell us about it. Yeah. So I hit some upper body, did a lot of accessory work with upper body, felt pretty damn good. I just can't get it into full extension and full flexion. So it's just those like end ranges. Like once I can do pain-free front squats, I think I'm pretty much good to go. But yeah, so I went out and hit that 12 minute every three minute track workout trying to keep, <laughs> I wanted to come on the pod and get everyone under like 128 or something absurd and just tell you to suck it. Didn't quite get there, but I did have <laughs> some some pretty good times. I started, <laughs> didn't quite do it. No, but I did average 133, which ain't bad. So every three minutes, 12, 400 meter runs and started at 123, 126, 127, kept it under 130. And then the seventh round, went up to 133. And then the the last couple rounds, the wheels kind of fell off, but I did complete all 12 rounds and average time of one minute, 33 seconds for that. Yeah. So that was, that was just good. I just, you know, like you guys kind of got on me for, for bitching out on that workout and, you know, went back out there and kind of got her done. So I felt pretty good about that. And the other hey, thing real I want to quick before you, yeah. before, what was your boy's name that I think you work with now? Oh, that- Andrew, that, that's Andrew Lynch. He was actually a Robin Eyes professor who had, who got, Absolutely. Like we broke him. We buried him with that workout, by the way. <laughs> and his times, yo, he said his times, they, they were not bad for somebody who hasn't done track work in a while. So shout yeah, out to you, Andrew. He, he crushed us. It was perfect. I loved him. Yeah, that was great. Uh, yeah. And yeah, shout out to Andrew for giving that a try. But I did want to share some thoughts because I, I have read and it is a book of the week on one of our first books of the week on Endure. And it is a fascinating read. I was kind of making fun of it earlier because it is a little dry at times, but there is some interesting, I, I guess my trouble with the book is I always want to parcel out the most useful kind of nuggets of information. And one thing I wanted to share and, and you know, being in the heat and working out in the heat in the summertime is there's a real risk of some of these workouts, you know, of, of heat related illness. And there's a couple factors that I actually had no idea contributed to heat related illness. It's supposed to be heat stroke, heat exhaustion, things like that. And two of them are medications. So Adderall. So if you're on any sort of ADHD Adderall type medications, or SSRIs, which are the serotonin reuptake inhibitors, they do increase the risk that you could suffer heat stroke or heat exhaustion. So just if you're out there and you're on these medications, something to watch out for, obviously something to consult with your doctor about. But I never really understood the link. And it goes into Tim Noakes' central governor theory, which Tim Noakes explored this idea of why aren't people dying more when they have these hot practices and they're in these competitions and when they're doing CrossFit regionals? And and why is our body so good at regulating our ability to not die, to keep the system going? And one of the things he, he, you know, hypothesizes is that the brain is in control of this, you know, via the hypothalamus and other mechanisms that we just have a very finely tuned ability to control when we're doing too much work. So taking medications such as Adderalls or SSR, Adderall or SSRIs could inhibit the body's ability to govern those processes. So I thought that was a fascinating nugget of information I wanted to throw out there, one that I've never heard before, but one that kind of makes a lot of sense. So I don't know what you guys think about that. So what you're saying is everybody that does CrossFit that falls after their workout is on like an antidepressant? Exactly, exactly. Okay, now it makes sense why they all collapse. Exactly. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) Nothing. I I guess I'll go fuck myself then. Thanks, guys.
but I think the central governor is an important theory. Like you, you have these safeties in place. And I think you bring up a good point when you add heat illness, like people that aren't trained to what they usually are, they're going out to work out more now during like quarantine times. And if you're on those medications, like obviously be safe, Dan, Dan's looking out for you. So thank you, Dan. And no problem. Dan, thank you. What do you got? Do you have anything cool this week before we get to our guest, Dan, anything upcoming? I like when you have workouts that you're shooting for early on in the week so I can Hold you, you, track, you track me. You know, I think that I, I might, I might actually, I might actually get after it tomorrow. There's a. Let me pull this up for tomorrow's workout because I think I could do this. It's deadlifts, so it's every three minutes for four rounds. So you hit 15 calories on the bike, five deadlifts at 275, and 10 toes to bar. So I think mm-hmm. my wrist can hold up during that. So I'll, I'll let you know. I, I haven't tried toes to bar, but it's feeling pretty damn good. So awesome, see if I can man. get her. Just awesome. wear your splint, man. I'm not wearing a splint. <laughs> I look like, did I, you know what? You know what's? <laughs> you ever seen the lady who's been working at the Rite Aid for maybe a little too long? They yeah. always have to say, "I'm wearing that splint." Like I'm yeah, wearing that girl. damn splint, and I'm done with it. I'm never wearing it again, and you know, I'll, I'll deal with the consequences. I'd wear that when I did too much Mavis Beacon back in middle school. You know, <laughs> getting used to all the typing. <laughs> you lost me on that one, Nick. I, I think we went to the same school. I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> it was a typing. It was a typing class in eighth grade. And there's some stupid software called Mavis Beacon. Yeah. <laughs> this lady told you how to, you know, hit the proper keystrokes with your hands a certain way on the keyboard. People would always uh, complain about their wrist and their fingers, pussies. Yeah. I, 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 how do you not know how to type by eighth grade? We had those little like handouts, like first grade. I was already a great type, uh, a great, great typist. I'm telling you, you can tell, you can fuck. tell who the soft people are going to be at, at 13. Yeah. The people complaining about where to put their hands on a keyboard and having cramps. Gosh. All right. Well, now, now right. I'm sad. Now I'm sad. <laughs> <laughs> No, all good. So boys, this week we have Josh Dunn. She's a former Navy EOD operator. Now she's involved with stasis performance. So we're going to get into breath work and stress release and the science behind it. Rob, I think this is going to be right up your alley. Dan and I are going to be a bunch of dumbasses. I'll be, I'll be, I'm already checked out, but this guest (laughs) sounds awesome. He's going to teach me something. It, it, breath work is one of those things I know just enough about to be dangerous. So I'm very interested to have somebody that actually knows what they're talking about on here. So I'll, I'll, I'll bring out the good questions. All right. Well, enjoy the interview, guys. So Josh, man, welcome to the Strategy of Fitness podcast. What's going on, man? Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to chat with you guys tonight. Yeah, we've been we've been playing a little phone tag back and forth the last couple months, but been following you on LinkedIn and stuff. Sounds like nothing but great things ahead for Stasis Performance. Before we get into that, we always like to get to know our guests a little personally. We always start with like a week in review in your workouts. So let the people know what you're working with in this COVID world. How are you getting it in? Yeah, so I've pivoted to a garage gym since COVID started. I was actually working part-time at a local gym here in Virginia Beach. And then when COVID started and kind of the business started growing, I stopped working there and transitioned to the garage gym. So that's where I've been pretty much full-time since like mid-February. My typical week looks like normally three running days and then three like strength days would be the focus and then one full recovery day. So how are you liking that garage gym workout? I know you said you've been coaching. 
do you like do you like getting it in at home or is it interrupting anything? No, I love it. It's super convenient. I normally do my workouts in the evening after I'm done with my work for the day. So it's kind of just like a nice close out to a work day, I guess. But it's nice if anything comes up schedule wise, I always have it, you know, right there in the garage. So it's I don't have to worry about commuting anywhere or anything like that. Awesome. And did you have equipment or did you kind of have to build throughout this this nightmare? We had pretty much everything that we've had since the beginning. We've added a few small pieces, but nothing major. Cool. And before we get into Stace's performance and deep dive into some really interesting stuff you're doing, anytime we have someone, you know, we've had a couple boat guys, we've had some seals on, now we have our first EOD. Love to get your perspective. Kind of take us back. Give us your give us your history. When you when you went in, why you picked EOD, what that experience is like, and and talk about the transition a little bit because I know if it's anything like it was for me, it's it's a stressful time getting out of the Navy at especially high performance teams and, and trying to do your own thing. I joined the Navy in 2010, graduated from EOD school in July of 2011. I originally didn't even know what EOD was, kind of when I started the recruitment process, I guess, with the Navy. I'd originally wanted to be a pilot, and I just like dropped out of college, moved back home, and then wanted to be a pilot because it was like a lifelong dream of mine and some of my family members. And then I realized or learned, I guess, when I went in there that you had to like go get a degree and all that stuff to be an officer, to be a pilot. So I was like, well, kind of what else, what other cool shit is available, you know? And they gave me like all the flyers for SEAL, SWIC, Diver, and EOD. And I kind of just dived into all those and ended up picking EOD as what I was like most interested in for some crazy reason i guess i thought it was cool to like learn how to disarm bombs <laughs> yeah that, that that's about it how how were you how long were you in the teams and and how was it did you enjoy it i was in for just shy of t- 10 years so i think i got out like two months shy of my 10 years yeah i had a i had a really good time i learned a lot of like soft skills and stuff just with like dealing with people and teamwork and learning how to talk to like people that were higher ranking than you and learning how to talk to people that are lower ranking to you. A lot of like applicable stuff that I use now, I guess, in like the business world that during the time you would have never thought like stuff like that would kind of translate. But I think a lot of those like soft skills that guys don't think about a lot can really pay off if you like recognize that and use them to your advantage. Now, it's cool to see that you're taking that communication. And, and one of the things I've realized about my, my job too is how important those, those communication skills and how transferable they are to almost anything. And just for the layperson out there, could you explain like, and again, I'm the layperson. I don't have zero military background. What are some of the daily tasks of someone in EOD? Like what does EOD stand for? And then what does what the day to day look like? And what were your favorite aspects of the job? Yeah, so EOD stands for Explosive Ordnance Disposal. It's basically the the Navy's bomb squad. The day-to-day life really depends on what type of specific team you get placed on. EOD, Navy EOD specifically, does a lot of different mission sets. So you could be 
on a mine countermeasure team that's like diving and disarming mines and limpets or on the opposite end of the spectrum you could be you know attached to a seal unit and doing all dismounted ops where you barely have any gear and you're basically kind of like the seals assault forces bomb squad technician for any you know ids or anything like that that you would run into on a mission they normally always have a navy od guy there with them so the the mission sets kind of vary widely and then whatever team you're on on a day-to-day basis you'll probably be doing something around that mission set so if you're on a dive team you'll be diving a lot if you're on a seal team you'll probably be you know shooting a lot more doing a lot of cqb skydiving stuff like that to get ready for the mission specific of the team that you're put on that's awesome that's that sounds so badass and i was just wondering so you're basically like jeremy renner in the hurt locker but underwater (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so I mean that that's kind of an option too. That would be like more of a conventional roadside team where, you know, you could get deployed to Iraq or Afghanistan and operate mainly out of a big jerv and use robots to go, you know, disarm IEDs and stuff. So the the job varies widely, really dependent on kind of luck of the draw of what team you get put on is kind of what you're going to be doing. But a lot of guys get to experience all different mission sets throughout their career. So you normally don't get put on the same type of team over and over again. They like to give you a little experience and everything. That's cool. That's really cool stuff. Something I, like I said, have no knowledge about. So that's awesome. So Josh, we try to tie everything to fitness here. How was it when you were in the EOD team? Was it competitive? I know Pierside is the gym you guys frequent. I used to go over there all the time to get away from my command. Love that place. So, I mean, were you guys getting after it against each other? Did you have, you know, programming, etc.? Yeah, I think it's probably just like any other community. All the guys have their own thing that they're into. And then you kind of band together with people that are, you know, into the same same type of training exactly. you are. So I think it's that that's kind of how it is. And it's definitely competitive on the platoon level. If if your platoon is into like, you know, working out together. I was on some teams where everyone liked to had a different training methodology. So like we didn't really like training together, but I was also on teams where everyone was into the same thing and it was really fun because we would always train together. So I, I think it kind of just depends. But yeah, Pierside, some good times, good workouts have gone down there for sure. And the audacity of those people not to allow us to wear or use chalk almost led to a lot, a lot of injuries for me. And I, would, <laughs> I would get in there and use like the <laughs> the liquid chalk and they'd be like looking at me like, who is this guy? What is wrong with him? But, yeah, EOD actually just got, finally, we have our own gym now on the compound. I got to go take a tour of it the other day. It's It's pretty sick. Is it back behind the building? Yeah, it's actually in one of the buildings that one of the mobile units used to be in. It was actually where my first mobile unit, mobile unit six, where I checked in. That old building now got transferred into like a big training facility. Awesome. Man, that that, that base has has it all. Because the boat team gym is ridiculous. It was just, you know, a little brass heavy with the officers. And and (laughs) I had to get get out of there in the middle of the day sometimes. All right, perfect. So let's let's transition. So, okay, so you're transitioning out of the, the military. We're all looking for, I, I spoke of Simon Sinek's start with why last week. Mm. We're all looking for our why, right? Give us yours. Why, why, why are you getting into stasis performance, man? Oh, man, dude, it's been uh, probably just like anyone else. It's been a journey to kind of end up 
where I am. When I first started, I guess I kind of pulled the trigger when I was three months out of actually transitioning when I was like, okay, I'm for sure going to get out. And I originally kind of, now that I look back at back at it, I think I was kind of following the herd where I was going to like plan on going to get an MBA, trying to get into a really good like top 10 school and then go into consulting or something like that. And I actually spent like four or five months studying for the GMAT, like prepping, you know, essays for applications and all that shit. And then realized like I was doing it for all the wrong reasons. And like, I didn't want to go back to school or be a consultant or any of that shit. And I kind of knew I wanted to do my own thing and start my own company. Didn't really know in what and started getting really into like cold exposure stuff and the breath work. And originally Stasis was going to be this cold exposure company. We we're trying to make like cryotherapy as a service. So we were going to basically model it after e-scooters where you would have an app and be able to find a gym near you that would have a, one of our cold tubs in it. You could you know, book your appointment, walk in the gym, hop in the cold tub for a few minutes, pay a couple bucks and leave. And had a bunch of plans doing that for a while. And then COVID kind of hit and all the gyms shut down. So we had to you know, make a decision of what we're going to do and decided to go all in on the breathwork stuff. And it's been pretty awesome so far. I think we had really good timing with COVID and, you know, all the, the limelight that breathwork stuff has gotten in the past few months has, we've been able to make a lot of traction and, you know, just really three to four months of focusing on it. So it's been, been a good journey so far. So I know your stasis now is focusing on the breath work, but can we backtrack a little bit to the cold exposure? Can you talk a little bit about the benefits of cold exposure itself, like the cold tub versus like the cryo chambers that are out there now? I feel like it's kind of the hot thing. And like, what, what's the science there? Why, why are people doing this? Yeah, there's a bunch. There's both a cognitive aspect and an actual physical aspect with... If you know me, you know I'm always on the run up early and home late. So having a three hour morning routine isn't really in the cards for me. What is in the cards is AG1. It's a fast way to get vitamins and minerals I need to perform. I first gave AG1 a try because it was, I wanted a single solution that helps support my entire body by filling in nutrient gaps and simplifying my morning routine. Since drinking AG1 daily, I've always felt strong and energized and ready to attack the day. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre- and probiotics, and more, it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's one scoop, mixed in water, once a day, and every day. I know that AG1 is giving my body high-quality nutrition. Every batch of AG1 goes through a rigorous testing process so you know that it's safe. And AG1 ingredients are sourced for absorption, potency, and nutrition density. AG1 is a supplement that I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to welcome them as a new partner. Here is your chance to start every day this season with a gift to yourself. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash provengrit. That's drinkag1.com slash proven grit. Check it out. 
decrease inflammation. The biggest benefit that I like to talk about is kind of the neurochemical releases that happen with cold exposure. And the biggest one being norepinephrine, which is linked to a lot of neurological benefits with creating new synapses. So really creating like new neural pathways and repairing damage to, to old neural pathways. It's also like a precursor to dopamine, adrenaline, serotonin. So just like a, a big neuro cocktail that you get that gets released with cold exposure. And then you also have just like the mental aspect of it too. And then one of the things that we talk a lot about is kind of the, the autonomic nervous system is a key aspect of all of the breath work we do. And it also plays a factor in cold exposure too, being that cold exposure is a stress stressor on the body. So it induces a stress response and that activates the sympathetic nervous system or the fight or flight side of the ANS. And when you pair cold exposure with like a down regulation or a parasympathetic activating breathwork routine, you're getting, you're, you're, you're training your body to be adaptable and resilient to more stressors. So that way when, you know, normal everyday stressors come up, it's so much easier to deal with those things and it doesn't induce as big a stress response. The other aspect of that is kind of like I talk about a lot is, is seeking out stress instead of letting stress seek, you know, seek you out. And I'm sure you guys know this with exercise, like that's, you know, one of the benefits of it. So I think that's huge is just like putting yourself in stressful situations on purpose in order to be more, more resilient for everyday life. Yeah, I wanted to ask you as well, I'm, I'm sure you're familiar at some level with the, the work of Wim Hof and he does the cold exposure and the breathing. He's kind of like, I guess, a guru at this point. But I was fascinated when I saw his interview and there's actually a university in one of the European countries that was studying him and, and found that he could train people to, st- to kind of stimulate an immune response to a, a foreign-born path- pathogen. And I thought that was really amazing that there might be a link between this cold exposure and simulating that kind of fight or flight, that epinephrine response, and also stimulating the immune system. So I don't know if you know, you're familiar with the research or if you know any links between the cold exposure and immunity, but I thought that was fascinating. And I haven't kept up with the research since I've seen that piece. Yeah, I was actually just skimming through that article the other day on his website. I'm very familiar. He was actually the guy that I, how I originally got into cold exposure was seeing, you know, I don't remember if it was on social media or YouTube, but it was something about him. And I was like, okay, this guy looks crazy. Like, I want to try this shit. And yeah, like the immune response stuff is crazy. I'm interested to know how much of that is actually linked to the cold exposure vice the breath work. I mean, I think it would probably be a mix of two, but I think there's got to be like a lot more in-depth studies to to kind of validate any of that stuff. Yeah, it seems like an interesting pilot, but I'd have to see some, some harder evidence. But just, hey, it's a cool thought, you know, there's crazier things have happened and been true. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So staying on the cold therapy, how do we dose this? Like, is this something that happens post-workout? Should we think about it totally separately? Are we creating a different stress by doing the cold therapy? And then like, what's the difference between the the cold tub and these cryo chambers? Is there a real difference between those two modalities? Yeah, I'll tackle that part first. So the 
all the literature that I've seen has said that it's bas- it's all the same benefits. You get the same response in three minutes of a cryo chamber as you would. And the studies I've read are 42 degree water for three minutes, I believe. So I was always much more into the cold water because one, it's just so much cheaper. Like you can pay 50 bucks a pop for a cryo session when you can do the same thing in your, your, your garage. You know, I've converted an old chest freezer into a, a cold tub. So I have my water down to 36 degrees and you can just, I like the colder, the colder I can get it because I can get the same benefits in a shorter amount of time. Kind of the lower the water temperature, the less duration you have to do to elicit the same response. As far as the training thing goes with cold exposure, I like to treat it as another training modality, not just recovery, because like you mentioned, it does elicit that stress response. So you might not want to do it every day, you know, or just be specific with the time and place you're going to do it. You definitely don't want to do it anytime within an hour post training, if you're training for strength and conditioning specific, because it does stop the inflammation process. So if you're trying to build muscle mass, it's going to, you know, hinder that response. So I like to do it first thing in the morning as part of my morning routine. And then I do it on my full rest day where I'll pair it with sauna work too. So I'll do contrast therapy with the sauna and the cold tub. Yeah, when you talk just like having a stress response, that cold tub is so much worse than going into a crowd chamber. So <laughs> I, I'm definitely with you there. So you've already kind of alluded to how the breath work kind of goes hand in hand to the, with the cold therapy, and you, that's where stasis focus is now. So talk to me a little bit about what, what breath work is and, and what stasis does for first clients. So breath work is really just the conscious manipulation of your breathing patterns. And we break down breathing into kind of three main categories. One being the respiration rate. So how many breath cycles per minute are you doing? Two is the biomechanics. So how are you breathing? Are you initiating that breath cycle with your diaphragm or your upper chest? And then three would be the biochemistry aspect, which is what is the tidal volume of each breath cycle or how much air are you inhaling and how much air are you exhaling with each breath cycle? So let's, let's dive a little bit into each of those, if you don't mind. So respiratory rate, like throw some numbers out there. What's the average person walking around at? And then if you're going to do actual breath work, like what, what are some ranges you should be shooting for? Most people are going to be anywhere between the lower end, 12 breaths per minute, and then on the upper end, 18. I believe anything over 18 is considered hyperventilation. Bro, I got a whoop. I was at 19 last night. <laughs> I'm in good ass shape. What are you talking about, Josh? Really high. <laughs> maybe maybe you're not quite in as good a shape as you thought you were, Nick. Yeah. Well, I'm not. What are you, Dan? Jeez. <laughs> I'm, I'm a corpse at this point. <laughs> Where we like to take stuff for down regulation routines and what all the science points to is the optimal respiration rate is six breaths per minute. No one I know is kind of at that on a regular, like just resting rate, unless you're consciously thinking about your breathing, you know, on a minute by minute basis. But when you take your respiration down to that rate, you know, for 10 or 15 minutes at a time, 
it's it has amazing benefits for activating the vagus nerve and the parasympathetic side of the ans so respiration rate and then you have biomechanics which is really just activating the breath cycle with your diaphragm a lot of people are upper chest breathers and one you're not getting all the benefits of the lower lungs so the lower lungs hold most of the bronchii and alveoli which hold all of the good oxygenated rich blood that you want to be happening in that gas exchange process and when you breathe in your upper chest most of the air you breathe in never makes it down into those deep chambers so you're just really inefficient at you know processing and utilizing oxygen and then you have the biochemistry which is mainly geared around building co2 tolerance so a lot of people overbreathe too where they're taking in way too much air on a breath cycle basis and so by consciously taking in less and less air lowering your tidal volume you're going to start to build up more co2 in your system and that kind of resets these co2 receptors that you have that initiate that stress response in your system i think that's an important point to kind of elaborate on is that our urge to breathe is not, it's not a lack of oxygen, right? It's this accumulation of CO2 and inherently just, we, we really tolerate it poorly. And I think a lot of this breath work is intended for you to start tolerating CO2 better. Is that correct in the way I'm saying that? Or any tips for, for people at home to, to tell if they're like an overbreather is respiratory rate the best way to figure that out? Yeah, that, that's that's a hundred percent true. A lot of people think that the need to breathe comes from a lack of oxygen, and you're you're right. It doesn't. It actually comes from a buildup of CO two. CO two really is the stress molecule in the body, and we, you see this a lot in like a free diving culture or big wave surfers or kind of anyone that has to rely on being able to hold their breath for very long they've known you know this for decades that co2 was the driving force it's kind of just stayed in these little bubbles really and it's just now getting out into the mainstream and and what was the the second part of that question i forget how to train co2 tolerance yeah like how, how do you train it how do you know if you're have poor tolerance of CO2 oh sure sure without, sure without having like a capnometer to, to analyze your mm -hmm. breath yeah, one of the the easiest ways. So there's there's two big tests that are out there right now. One is like a breath hold. We just call it a breath hold test. So how you how it works is you would take three normal breaths in through your nose, out through your nose, and then on the third exhale, you would pinch your nose shut, hold your breath for as long as possible until you feel the first involuntary muscle contraction. And this could happen in like your abdomen area or in the back of your throat. Most people, when they do this test for the first time, aren't going to be able to hold their breath anywhere near long enough to actually have that involuntary muscle contraction. So, you know, just go until you, the urge to breathe becomes too strong where you can't hold your breath anymore and time that. And most people are going to be probably under 20 seconds. The gold standard out there for like an average healthy adult is 40 seconds, which we don't even see a lot in like athletes or people that would be considered in like good shape. And it's because you can be a good athlete 
and still be really inefficient at utilizing oxygen and really, and also have a really poor CO2 tolerance. It's kind of something that you have to train specifically in order to get better at it. And there are some cool training protocols I've seen out there, not really well researched. One I've seen is doing like short sprint intervals on an out breath. So maybe like five, 10 second sprints after a max exhalation. And there's other ones that are like slow aerobic workouts where you do like a regular breath in, breath out, breath in, breath out, and then hold like a cycle like that. Are you familiar with those, those studies at all for building like CO2 tolerance? Yeah. And a lot of those were again, rooted in the free diving world. They were kind of the ones that came up with CO2 tables, which is really just like if think of it as a pyramid where you're you're increasing your breath hold time or your apnea time each level and then minimizing kind of the recovery breaths that you have in between so so it's really i mean to in order to build co2 tolerance it's all going to come down to apnea work and and slowly increasing your breath hold time and then on the other end of the spectrum you have kind of like the o2 training too which I think comes more into place with the the movement or the you know dynamic apnea work where you're starting to do hypoxic work or breath holds and pairing that with exercises too because once you pass over a certain threshold where your CO2 tolerance just is kind of capped out then you start training the actual ability to to do work while under a low O2 presence. So it's kind of like simulation of high altitude training is, you know, what a lot of people are calling it because you can elicit the same effects at sea level just by manipulating your breathing patterns as you would get at, you know, 10,000, 12,000 feet of altitude. And then I know another principle, if you follow like any of the Buteco breathing methods or some of the other breathing schools, is they'll, they'll talk a lot about nasal breathing. So is that something you'll get into at Stasis as well? And if you do, can you talk a little bit about the benefits of nasal versus mouth breathing? Yeah, sure. So yeah, we're a huge proponent of nasal breathing. And that's kind of like the the lowest rung on the tree, I would say, when you're starting breath work is kind of like the most basic thing you can change in your daily patterns is just starting to breathe through your nose at all at all times whenever possible you know if you're not kind of talking eating or drinking you should probably be breathing through your nose i think it's a huge benefit for training wise too one of the the big benefits is it's going to automatically lower that tidal volume just because the airways are smaller so when you start breathing through your nose, you kind of already are making a step in the right direction as far as building up higher CO2 tolerance. Whenever you're exhaling through your mouth, you're exhaling a lot more volume of CO2 than you would be if you're exhaling out your nose. Another huge benefit is uh, gas nitric oxide is is built in the nasal cavities, and that's a natural vasodilator. So there's a lot of benefits for guys specifically. It's actually the main molecule in Viagra. So you can actually kind of elicit your own little natural sex cocktail just by doing some nasal breathing work, which is pretty funny. Nick is breathing so hard through his nose. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> 
There's also a bunch of stuff linked to really how damaging mouth breathing is. One, it kind of automatically makes you breathe with your upper chest. It's really hard to get like a deep diaphragm breath when you initiate it from the mouth. Again, you off-gas a lot more CO2 than you would, and typically you'll find people's respiration rate is much higher when they're breathing through their mouths, vice their nose. So how about nighttime? Are you one of these guys that promotes taping your mouth shut so you're forcing yourself to breathe through the nose at night, or is that is that getting excessive? There's actually quite a bit of studies showing like this is a really effective method. I've never done it just because I naturally breathe through my nose at night, but I think it could be a huge benefit for someone that has like sleep apnea or they know they snore a lot. There was actually a new book that just came out by this guy, James Nestor. It's called Breath. And him and a, another guy in this book do a study at Stanford where I think I believe they went 30 days where they plugged their nose and only could breathe through their mouth for 30 days straight. And then they did the opposite and only breathe through their nose for 30 days straight. And it was insane. The, like the differences in sleep apnea, snoring, you know, chronic hyperventilation, their aerobic capacity and VO2 max. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's uh, definitely worth trying if you know you're a mouth breather. I don't think it could really elicit any harm at all. So it, it's definitely something you should give a try. Yeah, probably don't go with duct tape the first time, <laughs> like paper tape. But yeah, uh, <laughs> they, they do make Patrick McCown, who is the owner of Oxygen Advantage. He's a part of some company. I forget exactly the name of it. I think it's called Myotape. But if you Google, you know, mouth tape for sleeping or something, there's a few companies that make specific tape for it where there's, you know, an opening in the center where you can, if you forcefully exhale, exhale, you can get air in and out. So it kind of eases that anxiety of like suffocation or something for someone. I was reading too. This is actually, I, I can't shut up about this stupid book today, Endure, the one of Rob's books. And one of the things that it talks about, because it does go into free divers a lot, that's a fascinating culture, and it talks about the different checkpoints. It's like you hit a certain level and there's a different, you know, the CO2 accumulates, but you could still, like that first thing where you need to breathe after you're holding your breath, it's just the body's like very first warning signal. There's actually a couple after that. But one of the things that I found fascinating, I was wondering if you use it in your training protocols, is there's an evolutionary mechanism that allows us to hold our breath longer underwater and not necessarily underwater but if you just float like a like a dead man's position in water with your face down it increases your ability to hold your breath versus just doing just a, a standard breath hold on land so i was wondering if you do any in-water training or or at least give protocols for that in your stasis programming yeah i believe that's the mammalian dive reflex is what that's called that sounds and right yeah, and yeah, and I, I, I'm pretty sure what's happening there. I haven't dived too much into this research, but I'm pretty sure that that's activating the vagus nerve, which in turn activates the parasympathetic branch. So it really just puts you in this like relaxive state. And yes, we, well, we don't do anything specific with any type of underwater training, breath hold training right now, but I use it just in my personal programming with my morning cold tub. I always end it by kind of dunking my face under for, you know, 10 or 15 sef seconds, nothing crazy, but just to kind of activate that vagus nerve before I get out. And you can definitely feel a difference for sure, I think. 
I tried cold showers after I heard Wim Hof. I got so jacked up. And I was like, I don't have a cold tub, but I can take a cold shower. And I got up to about five, six minutes, which doesn't sound like a lot. But man, cold showers are miserable. And I felt like pure shit after them. So is there some people that just suck at cold immersion and they just, you know, maybe just weren't born for it? Uh, Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, my, my kind of outlook on any type of training or diet or any any type of human performance tips is it's kind of all relative to the individual person. Nothing is going to work for everyone and some things don't work for anyone. So yeah, I mean, if, you, if you've if you tried it, if you've implemented into your programming routine and you just didn't see positive benefits out of it, then I wouldn't recommend, you know, continuing to do that to anyone. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't that like, actually there was some kind of law. It was a weird, it was almost like, like the feeling you'd have to work out, I would get that like an hour or two later. And that was kind of cool. But then I realized I love working out and I hate cold immersion. So mm-hmm. I kind of just nixed it. But yeah, I, I guess you're right. It's just like anything else. There's different strokes for different folks. And you're always going to have a, an inf- infinite, infinite number of responses to these types of treatments and protocols. Yeah, yeah, 100%. So Josh, there's a lot of these breeding schools or coaches that have popped up. We got we talked about Buteco, there's Wim Hof. I think XBT has a course. How does stasis differ? How do you set you guys apart from these other other camps of breathing? So right now we're kind of building out a product that is going to be more focused on the training side of things. I think something that a lot of the companies that are out there now don't do well is actually educating the user on how to breathe properly. And of course, there's schools and clinics and stuff you can do that. But when I'm I'm talking about kind of more on a scalable solution to that. And so that's what we're trying to build out right now. And then um, I think, you know, something different is we're we're focused more on an enterprise customer. So we're really trying to build a product that can be used for corporate wellness programs or large military organizations and, you know, military Leo fire, fire departments and stuff like that. Very cool, man. Very cool. We appreciate running through this again at stasisperformance.com. And before we get into, we do some, some real quick rapid fire questions. One, like the one big, big, big takeaway you want people to walk away from after hearing this and why they should be energized to, to go check you out. I know you just said what's your what your differentiator is, but like, why should people care about this? Because how you breathe really affects almost every other subsystem in your body, and most importantly, it directly affects your emotional state, which your emotional state, you know, directly affects how you make decisions, and and kind of how you make decisions directly affect how your life goes. So in in kind of the macro level view of that, you know, I think how you breathe can have a huge impact on your life and in general. And I think people should start to wake up that, you know, it does play a, a major factor in their health. And it's something that can be easily, you know, trained and and learned in very little time on a day-to-day basis. That's awesome. That's awesome. And, you know, I, I hear a lot of people taking their CBD shots or whatever for their for their stress. If you dive in and read anything about this breathwork stuff, you can realize that making some small tweaks, having a good coach can really get your mental health and get some weight off your shoulders. Judging by my respiratory rate, I might need to take a look at that myself. 
I remember too, like when I was in grad school and our professors would, you know, I, I was always in, I think Rob too, we're all kind of more of that sports and orthopedic, always interested in that world. And then we go into the neuroscience classes and they'd be like, you know, kind of like that, why do I need this attitude? And the professor's reaction to, to that kind of sentiment was always, well, it doesn't matter if you're treating somebody for an ACL, like they still have a brain, like you still yeah. need to know how the machine operates, right? So I think that just like you, it's any athlete, any anybody who's a, an endurance athlete, anybody who's an athlete on any level, they have heart and they have lungs. And then if you don't train, you know, if you want to be kind of optimize yourself as an athlete, it, it seems advantageous to train those heart and those lungs. Yeah. I, I mean, for sure. When any, you know, you're talking about people that are operating at like a professional or elite level even if they make, you know, a half a percent or a 1% increase in their performance, that's the difference between that's, everything. that's, that's you know, gold that's, that's yeah. gold versus silver winning the Super Bowl versus not, you know, it's like th- those little minute differences in performance are all those athletes need to, to differentiate themselves. And this is something that can easily do that for them. Now, I think we always look for the, the sexy answers, the supplements, but it's heavyweights get you strong cooking your own food in the kitchen gets you lean and like breath work is how you handle stress, right? It's, it's not sexy, but you got to make a commitment. You just, it, you got to put the work in. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. There's, there's no shortcuts to anything that are worthwhile or really impactful in life. Unfortunately, as much as the, the marketing and the gimmicking would want us to, to think that's just not the facts. Yeah. Great. Well, this has been awesome. I've learned a bunch and now we're going to learn a little bit more about you. So we do some rapid fire questions. We always start with the most important one and it is what's your favorite seltzer, non-alcoholic? Oh, I have to go with right now. My go-to has been lime flavored, just Wegmans generic brand, man. Nice. Okay. Okay. I I miss miss my Wegmans like deserts miss the rain. That place is phenomenal. (laughs) It's a, it's a, a, Amazing shop. And then as far as uh, alcoholic, do you, do you get into the White Claws? Are you uh, are you snake bitten by any of these Bud Light seltzers or anything like that? I, I will have a White Claw at like a beach day or something, but I'm actually a fine red wine type of guy. Okay. Okay. <laughs> What's your go-to? Like, watch, it, watch out, ladies. <laughs> <laughs> you got to have one. I, I really like Pinot Noirs are kind of my go-to. I love Pinot Noir. That's fantastic. Cool. Rob, what do you got for him? So we always ask like how the guests define strong, and I usually qualify it has to be a gym lift, but given your background, if you want to make some like absurd breathing goal, <laughs> your definition of strong, it's open game for you. So how do you define strong? What Give me like your formula for strong. Man, I, I, I was thinking about this honestly earlier, and I think you know, to me, being strong isn't correlated to like a specific lift or one lift. I think being strong means being resilient and kind of just being able and and being able to cope with everyday stress and like get through life without letting small issues or small non-life-threatening situations activate that stress response is is what I want to be and and how I picture strong. I was hoping you would go respiratory rate just to drive it into Nick here. I know it's driving him crazy. <laughs> yeah, he's the same respiratory rate under 16. <laughs> yeah, there you go. All right, but Josh, we appreciate that, and that's nice. That said, <laughs> you're, walk- you're walking into Pierside, and you see a guy or a girl, probably a guy. What's going to make you be like, oh, shit, that guy's strong? You know, 
Oh, fuck. I, I'm a, I think, you know, the snatch is my favorite Olympic lift and kind of my favorite movement. So any, if I ever, you know, anything over 225 on a snatch kind of will catch my eye or impress me. I like that answer even more. I like the respiratory rate one. <laughs> Damn, <laughs> what quick hitter you have for him? <laughs> well, I like this one. Josh, if you could give, because you were somebody who kind of, it seems like, you had a decision to make in the, in the military and which route you were going to go. And you kind of went the college route and then you went the military route. So what would, what advice would you give a younger you? Just not to be scared of making mistakes. I think a lot of people, you know, when they're, their younger self are scared to take big risks and, and make mistakes. And now that I'm not much, but a little older and wiser, I think I kind of realized that the mistakes you make in life are where the growth happens normally. So as long as you're not making catastrophic mistakes and learning from them that if you pay attention, they normally end up being net positive in the end. I love that. that that's, that's great. And lastly, one rep max lift song. This can be like an all timer. You got a big snatch or bench or squat, whatever it is. What are you throwing on the stereo? Oh man. Right now it's probably show me by big wild. If I was going to do like an old school song, it'd probably be like, What's Beef by Biggie Smalls. Hell yeah. That's <laughs> a fantastic track. Well, both of those yeah. are going on the Strategy of Fitness official gym hitters. We yeah. have a Spotify and, and Apple Music playlist, so we'll throw both of those on there. You mentioned a book earlier, James Nestor Breath. Do you recommend that to the listeners? Usually we have the guest pick out a book. Do you think that's a good one size fits all for everyone? Yeah, I think that's a great one. He does a, a fantastic job of kind of of really diving into the history of breath work and its origins to, you know, all the dysfunctional breathing patterns that modern society has and then comes in back to kind of end it off with all the modern science that's coming out now. So it kind of it will really give people a great introduction to breath work as a whole. Very good. Dan, Rob, we got the book taken care of for the week. You guys have any hitters for the playlist? And then we'll let Josh sign us off with how people can find them. I thought this week was the, we're making the new playlist. No, no, no. I don't have one for the real playlist then, sorry. All right, that's fine. Dan, what do you got? I think it was one of our listeners, Logan McKelfer, that offered this up. uh, Am I Psycho by Tech 9 I ran that through the gauntlet yesterday and passes my test. I don't know if you heard Mm -hmm. that song. Yeah, I like that song. Tech Nine's awesome. Very underrated. I have two. He's quick, super good. Super yeah. Good. I have two. Uproar by Lil Wayne. Not sure why that wasn't on yet, but heard it the other night when I was working out and got pretty fired up. And Alex King, loyal listener, has been hitting me over the head with Amb- Ambassador Remix with Jay-Z for, mm. I want to say, six months. So mm. we're finally throwing it on there. Rob, those are, those are two, so you can just have one of those. That work? Yeah, I'll take Little Wayne. Thank you. Good. All right, Josh, how can people find you? Instagram, Twitter, whatever, LinkedIn. And again, thanks for being on with us, man. Yeah, so I'm at Josh Dunce, D-U-N-T-Z. And then stasisperformance.com. And then all social media, we're just at stasisperformance. Awesome. Well, we'll post this. We'll link it to all the accounts and blast it for the next week or so. Really appreciate you coming on and, and teaching us some things, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Great getting to chat with all you guys. Awesome, Josh. It was a, a wealth of information and something that I really need to uh, do my reading, and then I will be fascinated to learn a little bit more about this subject. So thanks for enlightening. 
Yeah. And let me know if I can help you guys out in any way. For sure. Will do. All right, fellas. Take it easy. Later. Have a wonderful day. Take care.